0: Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga, Birth, Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. For my yoga teacher friends who are interested in working with the pregnant population Prenatal Yoga Center offers an 85-hour Yoga Alliance certified program based on our three-pronged theory of prenatal yoga, asana, education, and community. Once a year, we hold our three-month immersion program in New York City. For those who cannot attend this training, Caprice and I are now traveling to different locations holding our training at hosting studios where we will spend six days working together exploring and learning about prenatal yoga. This training consists of more than 50 hours working together we also created a whole membership website with more than 20 videos corresponding directly to the manual you will receive. For more information, check out our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. Hope to work with you soon. Take care. Hi everyone. I'm Deb Glaschenberg and I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about milk banks. How do babies get milk they need? How do people donate? So we have today Julie Boucher Horowitz, and she's part of the New York Milk Bank. So let me tell you a little bit about Julie. Julie Boucher Horowitz is a nurse practitioner and international board certified lactation consultant. She's a founder and executive director of the New York Milk Bank and has a private practice specializing in breastfeeding in Irvington, New York. She formed a team of five women who over three years ago developed the New York Milk Bank, which officially opened its doors in September 2016 on Hastings and Hudson, New York. Julie is the past president of the Westchester-Putnam-Rockland Lactation Consortium. She has published articles on breastfeeding for Mothering Magazine and the peer-reviewed Journal of Clinical Lactation and ICANN, Infant, Children, and Adolescent Nutrition. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time
1: today, because I think this is a topic that a lot of people don't know about. I, I think you're right, Deb. Thank <laughs> you for having me, and I'm glad that we're able to educate more people about milk banking. Yeah, I think it's
0: a very important topic. So let me start with how did you get started with the New York Milk Bank?
1: Well, I I got started with um, donor milk in general when I adopted my baby in 1996, and she was adopted from China, and she was a failure-to-thrive baby. And so we fed her donor milk once we got back from China, and she thrived. And then I went back to school, became a nurse and a nurse practitioner, and found out that New York State wasn't really using donor milk at all, and that began my mission a long time ago to start to get donor milk into New York City, into the New York State, actually, and it's been a process, but in uh, 2014, we um, incorporated it as the Milk Bank, and we opened last year, and started a milk bank in New York. That's
0: fantastic. So, for those that don't even know what a milk bank is, can you break that down a little? Sure.
1: So a milk bank is a facility that collects extra milk from lactating, healthy lactating women. We collect it, we pasteurize it, we test it, and then we distribute it to infants in need. And primarily, most of the milk goes to premature infants in hospitals, but New York's been blessed with an abundance of milk so we can actually provide milk to all babies.
0: That's wonderful. So how is a donor screened and approved? Because I'm assuming not just anyone can just show up and
1: say, here's my milk. Please take it. You're right. They can. (laughs) So it usually begins with a phone call. So the mother has an abundance of milk. She has more than enough milk than her baby needs. And she gives us a phone call saying she'd like to donate milk. We start with a 20-minute Interview to see if she qualifies. So, we're looking to see if there's anything that stands out with her history that would not allow her to be a donor. For instance, if she's on a certain kind of medication that we don't allow. And if she passes that 20 minute interview, the next process starts. And then we send her a 17 page booklet. We call it our donor information packet. And it is um, a thorough history a review of her lifestyle and history, um, how she, what she eats, what she drinks, what she uh, is exposed to, any contaminants, um, what medication she's on, what vitamins she uses, uh, a very thorough history. as I said, it's 17 page long, 17 pages long. And um, we also she has to have medical clearance from her doctor. And her baby's doctor, so that's the third step: is medical clearance from the providers that both of them are healthy. When she passes those two requirements, she's passed the screening. She's done the uh, packet. Now she's had uh, we have letters that she's healthy and her baby's healthy. Then we have we send her out to a lab to have her blood tested. Oh, and wow. we, it's we, it's quite a process. It is quite a process. It takes several weeks to become a donor, depending upon when we start to get the information back from the provider and from the mother herself. And the blood screening also will take a few days to get back. Uh, She has to go to a lab. We do have, uh, we pay for everything. She doesn't have to pay for a thing. And then uh, once she passes, her blood work comes back that she's negative for these infectious diseases, then we can accept her milk.
0: What are some of the things on the seventeen page application that might take someone else someone out of the running
1: to donate milk? Well, one feature is if she lived over in Europe for more than three months and if she lived in Europe for five years during the mad cow disease epidemic, so we can't accept her um, uh, European women actually, for that matter. Um, another one would be uh, a certain kind of medication there's a, if she's taking an antidepressant. We do allow Zoloft, but we don't allow Prozac. Mm-hmm. So it, it all depends. And if she's had any tattoos or or ear piercings, we need to know that it was sterile technique. We're ne- we're going to need to have further information that sterile technique was used. Um, if she is taking galactagogues, even herbal galactagogues, right. galactagogues are milk enhancing herbs. If she, we want to target the women that are just copious milk producers naturally. We don't want someone. Um, who's who's taking herbs to increase her milk supply so she can donate milk and if her baby is not healthy we did have to turn down one donor when the doctor called and said that he felt that the baby was not thriving and that the any milk that the mother made should go to that infant and so we had to turn a donor down for that reason.
0: That makes sense. What about when you're talking about the herbal enhancers for the breast milk? I know there's all sorts of teas. Like I just happened to really like, like, I think it was like red raspberry and then there's another like mother's tea. And I think some of those have those uh, herbs in them. Would that be somebody to take that you would take out or are you talking more
1: aggressive, like fenugreek and some of the other stuff? Yes. The, um, when we look at herbal supplements or teas that the mother takes, she has to just be taking the recommended requirements for it. So she can actually be on herbs, but she can't be on something that's above the RDA recommendations. Okay. That makes sense. Then we're looking at, wait a minute, what's happening here? <laughs> right. That
0: makes total sense. So once she passes and the milk
1: bank receives
0: the donated milk, what's the process it goes through?
1: Well, let's talk first about how we receive the milk because oh, we sure. have some unique ways that we receive the milk. Okay. If she lives close to us, she can just drop off her milk. If she lives close to one of our milk depots, we have 25 milk depots located throughout the state. She can drop her milk at one of our conveniently located depots. They're in hospitals. They're in um, breastfeeding retail stores. There's one here in Manhattan at the Upper Breast Side. There's also one in Midtown at Columbia Midtown Pediatrics. We have two depots in Manhattan. We have them in Brooklyn, Bronx, etc. cetera. But she can drop them off there, and then they will ship us the milk. Um, or if she doesn't live close to a depot and she can't walk in and drop off her milk, we will send her a cooler that we pay for, and we will pay to have her milk shipped overnight to us. And another unique way, if she's close to close enough, sometimes our milk riders, I don't know if you've heard about them, but we have a female motorcycle group (laughs) of volunteers and they go and pick up the milk for us either mostly at the depots is when they pick up the milk for us and bring it to our facility.
0: You know, as you're talking about this, I just think so many women don't know about this. And, and I've been in the, you know, the birthing world for 17 years. I didn't know about this. And what ended up happening is I was such an overproducer, but I was told you can only have the milk in the freezer for so long. And I ended up throwing out breast milk, which kind of killed me to do so. But oh. I was told, you know, it can only last so long and then it loses nutrients for babies. So I'm hoping listeners out there that do have copious amounts...
1: Realizes other options. Do you, if it's been frozen, do you take the milk? We do take the milk, and that's the only way we take it. Okay, uh, and and we can go back uh, six months. Well, it's six months if she's had it in a deep freeze, but three three months if she's have it has it in a, a freezer that's attached to her refrigerator. And the reason that is, by the time it comes here and then we pasteurize it, the milk does get an expiration date, and it's one year from her pump date. Hmm, okay. So whenever she pumps the milk, we give it a one year expiration date at that point. So we can only accept milk that's labeled and dated so that we know what the expiration date is. And then once it's pasteurized, the hospitals want to know when it's going to expire. So that's why we are a little um, limited on how far back we can accept milk that's already been pumped.
0: Yeah, this is great
1: information. So talk a little bit about the, the pasteurizing process. So when the milk comes into our facility now, then we go and separate it out into month groups because we wouldn't want to put March milk with June milk because they're going to have different expiration dates. So when we go to pull milk from the freezers, we'll take it by month. So everything is labeled by the month and we'll pull whatever milk we're we're pasteurizing at the time. If we're a pasteurizing September milk, we'll start to look for women that have September milk and similar expiration dates because it's got to have one expiration date on the entire pool. We call it a pool. Um, We gently defrost the milk for a couple of hours at room temperature. And then we finish defrosting it by putting them in these big, large glass cookie jars that we put in the refrigerator overnight. And in the morning, we'll stir the milk to make sure it's completely defrosted. And we start to pour it into whatever size bottles we're making, whether it's 50 milliliter or 100 milliliter. Those are the two types that we have right now. And we pour them into the bottles, cap them, and we put it in a basket that gets submerged underwater into a pasteurizer. And then the pasteurizer will automatically heat the milk at 62.5 degrees Celsius for 30 minutes, and then it chills it. And now we're able to take the milk out of the pasteurizer. We take one bottle out and we send that to a lab. So the entire batch is quarantined for 48 hours while a lab checks the milk to make sure there's no bacterial count. Once that happens, the milk then can go into our inventory. When we get the results back, we put it into our inventory and it can go to the hospitals or to the babies who need it in the community.
0: Well, that brings me to what makes a baby eligible to receive milk from the milk
1: bank? Well, many milk banks uh, have a priority of who needs the milk the most, and they have a list of it goes to the sickest and most vulnerable infants first. But as I mentioned, we've been blessed with the generosity of New York women since we opened, and we have milk for everyone if anyone needs milk, even adopted babies, babies born through surrogacy, babies in gay families. But the only requirement is that we have is a prescription. So if there's a shortage, we would have to give the milk to the sickest and youngest babies. But right now, we can dispense milk to any baby that needs it as long as there's a prescription. A prescription is required.
0: And that's just from the baby's pediatrician?
1: Yes. That's great. Doesn't have any, any physician, any prescriber can prescribe donor milk. So the baby can be in the hospital or at home to receive the milk?
0: Yes. Oh, that's mm-hmm. really great. So how would someone go about getting the milk they need for their baby?
1: So they would give us a call, and we get calls all the time. Uh, we get calls from hospitals saying the baby's getting discharged and the mother wants a little milk to carry the baby through until mom's own milk is established. That would be for a full-term infant. Or we'll get calls of a premature infant's getting discharged and the mother wants to continue to provide donor milk to that baby. Or we'll get calls from, um, we just you know, couples will call saying they're adopting a baby and uh, they want milk or their baby just needs a little extra milk. And as long as we have a prescription, then we either ship it to them or they come in and pick it up themselves.
0: What a great option for those that feel they don't have enough supply, really don't want to have to go to formula and feel torn. I I keep going back to enough women don't know about this. So is this something that's covered by insurance?
1: Well, um, this year we were very lucky in April that the governor and the house and the assembly voted to accept, uh, hey, have Medicaid coverage for all babies, 1500 grams and under. So, if the baby's in a hospital and is preemie, or it's a sick full-term infant that has a serious congestion a congenital disorder, a heart, some sort of heart defect, or some uh, gastrointestinal disorder, um, Medicaid will re will cover the milk. So that's great for in the hospital. Now, what do we do with these babies if they're discharged? Well, we've been able to get um, insurance coverage so far for two babies who have been discharged, who were babies that came down with this illness called necrotizing enterocolitis. That's a disease that premature infants get if they're given formula. There's a very high rate of infection and with a high mortality rate from this illness. And now we know that we can avoid it and certainly lower the risk by giving the baby donor milk. So Medicaid is now reimbursing for donor milk for inpatients and we're doing it on a case-by-case basis for outpatients. this Oh, I'm sorry. uh, This is for premature and sick babies. We still haven't yet gotten close to getting reimbursed for healthy, full-term infants, but that's going to be our goal eventually, (laughs) that all babies have access and can afford to have donor milk.
0: Well, what is the cost, again, if someone's, they have a healthy, full-term baby, but it's the mom who feels that she's not uh, producing enough
1: but doesn't want to switch to formula, what is the cost usually around that? It's $4.50 an ounce. So a 100 milliliter bottle will cost fifteen dollars. That gets—I mean, I don't actually know what formula costs. So, but I'm assuming it's that's much a more lot sh- less. It's okay. a lot. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's it's human milk for human babies, mm-hmm. and the fees that that are charged are not. The women donate the milk. We don't pay our donors, mm-hmm. so the fees are the operation of the milk bank, the pasteurizing, the lab tests, the paying for the donors, the shipping of the milk, our salaries. And so it I know its it sounds like a steep price, and I think it is to the average person. And that's why I, we're looking at eventually if we could have it, insurance reimbursement for all babies, because it's, it's a health savings. It's an absolute cost savings. Mm-hmm. For humans, we're meant to be on human milk, not cow's milk, not a formula made from cow's milk they're meant to be on human milk and as soon as everyone starts to recognize that we'll, we're starting one step at a time now we have premature infants covered well now can we start to cover term babies who are sick well now can we start to cover women who have had mastectomies and they can't provide milk to their babies so why can't we help those women out and adopted babies and foster babies and babies through surrogacy So it's, it's going to be a long road, but we're willing to fight the battle to get, um, reimbursement for all babies eventually.
0: Now, I think it's incredible because we, now, we have so much information showing the bigger picture that in the long term, babies that have breast milk have you know, so many other advantages. So I, complete, I think if we, get, we look back at the big picture, it's not just the moment of, oh, but it's going to cost money. Years from now, that child will have so many more advantages. But is there any option for someone that just doesn't have the
1: funds? Is there like a scholarship program or is there any? I'm just like throwing out ideas. We do have a charitable fund and we are providing free milk to some babies where we have, there's extenuating circumstances where we know the baby absolutely must be on donor milk. So we we wouldn't turn anyone down if there are extenuating circumstances where the baby is intolerant of formula. The two cases that we have right now where the insurance companies are paying for outpatients, it was that situation. These babies, they survived necrotizing enterocolitis and it would have been awful if they went on formula. And we fought that fight for them. And we provided free milk to them until the until it was approved. We're doing the same thing right now with a baby that really does need donor milk. And we're fighting the fight. We're providing free milk until we can hear from the insurance companies that they will pay for it. And in the meantime, we've started a charitable fund for those families that also can't afford it, that fall outside those parameters. Because it. the truth is, there is no substitute for human milk. There really isn't. Formula just doesn't match up, but not all women can breastfeed or want to breastfeed, but all babies deserve to have the food that mother nature intended them to have. And that's human milk. So how do we get there? I'm, you know, We have to fight the fight each time with each individual case. For the past 30 years, Care Heating and Cooling put you first. You are the reason they are open seven days a week. You are why they make it easy to schedule service at careheatingandcooling.com. Concern for your safety is why they check every gas furnace for carbon monoxide. It's because of you that their technicians are paid to fix your furnace and air conditioner, not sell you a new one. And if you do need a new furnace, their team will make sure you get exactly what you need at a cost that fits your budget. Care Heating and Cooling is committed to doing business right. Call them at 1-800-COOLING when you need a company you can trust
0: absolutely, and I hear from so many students that they go through so many different formula options because the baby wasn 't tolerating this formula had to do this formula, or the mother was restricting her diet extremely because the baby was only taking breast milk if shes some of them were living basically going on lettuce and chicken, like really really restrictive, so that affects the mom 's quality of life, which is going to affect how she 's entering motherhood, so it would be amazing if this was um, not such a financial challenge. So I hope that I'm, my fingers crossed that that we're, keeps we're going gonna, there. We're going to fight the fight every step of the way. And I will be there shouting your praises. So <laughs> what other states offer this service?
1: Well, in terms of milk banks, there are 23 milk banks in the United States, and some of them provide to a region because some of the states are too small to provide donor milk. So not all states have a milk bank. Texas, for example, has two. California has one. New York's the third largest state. We have our first now. Florida has one. Colorado services a large area. The Mother's Milk Bank of Northeast services, services the Northeast. So there are other milk banks around that can ship, as well as New York. We're not limited to New York. So we can also ship outside New York as well and That's- provide to New Jersey or Connecticut or Pennsylvania.
0: So it sounds like you, um, the ratio of those that um,
1: donate milk and those that need it, you have more donation. Is that correct? We we do. Every state is different, but New York does. We have four times as much milk, and, and but we're a new milk banks, and New York has been a little slow in accepting the use of donor milk, slower than other states. California's been doing it since the 80s. Really? And, New York's been behind the times. That's unusual Uh, for us. (laughs) I know. I think most of the the resistance was they wanted the research uh, to prove that donor milk was better for babies. And the research is definitely leaning in that direction. So now, and especially with this Medicaid coverage coming up now, there are 56 hospitals that care for these 1,500 gram babies and under, and so that's and only two, only a third of them are using donor milk. But we're getting calls every week on how do I get donor milk into the hospital now? How can we provide milk to these babies? We had three calls today from hospitals, so there's a great interest in it now, especially for preemies. And do you think that most of the hospitals
0: know that there is a such thing as a milk bank to reach out to, or is this new for them?
1: I think most of the hospitals in New York are now aware of it. Um they don't know a lot of the particulars, so we're out there going to presentations. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we're off we offer presentations to the uh, hospitals. I just came back from Buffalo, gave one up there. Um going to Long Island on Wednesday to another hospital there because they they want to know the same questions you're asking. Is it safe? who are the donors? Another question that you didn't ask is what happens when you pasteurize the milk? Oh, okay, please how, tell me. <laughs> how, many, how many nutrients are lost? And so we do have the statistics on that. The, there are some losses, but a lot of the beneficial bacteria, uh, beneficial components of breast milk are retained even through the pasteurization process, such as the immunoglobulins that protect the baby against infections. And the macronutrients, of course, the protein, the carbohydrates, and the fat, that's all retained. So there's a lot of um, beneficial components to the milk that are still retained with pasteurization.
0: This is great. So if someone's at a crossroad deciding between formula and breast milk, does the milk bank do any sort of educational programs or services to help a mom
1: learn more about the benefits of breast milk? You know, that's a good question because we don't directly educate the public. We educate the hospitals to educate the public. And women make a decision to breastfeed I've got this was one of my uh, thesis in, in my master's program They make the decision in the first three months of their pregnancy, whether or not they're going to breastfeed. It doesn't seem to happen later, but we know that we can affect their decision if they've chosen not to by talking to them throughout their pregnancy and educating them and giving them the information every time they come in for a prenatal about the benefits and, and, and how you, and, and how you do it and how you maintain the supply and what happens when you go back to work. So we're not educating the public Um, one-on-one except through something like a podcast or an interview. And then our presentations to hospitals, we give them the information to educate their constituents and their uh, their patients so that they can Give them the correct information.
0: So I'm going to put you on the spot because this wasn't one of the questions that we had gone over. But um, can if we have a listener here in her first three months, you're even thinking of becoming pregnant, or kind of on the fence, can you go over some of the benefits of breastfeeding
1: compared to formula? Um, sure. Um, well, for breastfeeding or breast and milk, breast milk, I okay. shouldn't say. Well, Okay, for breast milk. Well, breastfeeding, if you want to just talk about that first feeding when the baby is born, usually we'd like it to happen in the first hour of life. And one of the first things it does is it starts to contract the uterus so that the involution of the uterus begins. Uh, And then, of course, every time the mother nurses, that happens as well, that tightening of the uterus. So she has, um, uh, her uterus goes back to normal size a little bit faster. But it's filled with the correct number of growth hormones that the babies need. It has so many specific growth hormones for the kidneys, for the heart, for the GI disorder, and for the brain. Human milk was designed in a way, I mean, think about 5,000 years ago. It hasn't changed very much. We haven't really evolved that much from 5,000 years ago. But it was meant to protect the baby against infection and to grow the baby's brain as rapidly as possible. And the hormones and all the components in breast milk are geared for that. If you look at bovine milk, which is what cow's milk is, the growth hormones in cow's milk are made to grow bulk. So we're taking a 60-pound calf and turning it into 400 pounds as rapidly as possible. And so that is really building bulk. And I don't know if you've been watching some of the um, or listening to some of the leaders that are coming out in nutrition right now they're thinking we shouldn't be eating or drinking um, cow's milk at all that it may be um, promoting tumor growth in the breasts and the uterine for, and the uterus for women because it is a they, those hormones are made to grow bulk and tissue whereas human milk growth hormones not only are to protect the whole system of the baby against infections but specifically to grow the brain and the studies have shown that breastfed or breast milk fed babies are more intelligent than um, formula fed babies. I mean, my husband was formula fed. He's a very bright guy. (laughs) Anybody out there that was formula fed, don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. But why shouldn't we give the food that Mother Nature intended humans to have?
0: Great. Thank you. Well, do you have any last minute information of questions I might not have asked against? A, this is pretty new to me. So is there anything that you think our listeners should know that I didn't have a chance to
1: ask? Um, some some people ask about the difference between milk sharing and uh, milk from a milk bank. Okay. So um, milk sharing is informal donate donations of milk on the Internet that's going on. Oh, I did that with a friend. And I gave her some milk. milk. Yeah, that is going on. And so a lot of people say, what's the difference between milk sharing and um, milk banking? Okay, so because our milk is going to babies who are in the NICU primarily and that are very sick, we can't take any risks on whether or not the milk is safe for the baby. So that's why we have to test our donors. Then why do we pasteurize it? Because um, there could be bacterial contamination in the handling of milk whence it's been the mother... Pumps it. Um, in milk sharing, there is no testing going on, and we don't know what the bacterial content is. We don't test the donors. We just can't take that risk with premature infants, which is why we the mother goes through such stringent appro- uh, uh, such a stringent approval process for milk banking.
0: Well, thank you for explaining that. As you were talking about this 17-page application and the pasteurization, I felt kind of badly. I'm like, I just gave my friend some milk because her baby needed it. So (laughs) glad we trusted each other there.
1: (laughs) A lot of the milk-sharing community, they go by that they they can meet the donor and see that she's healthy and the baby's healthy. That's fine for her. But for us, we have to take extra precautions. Of course.
0: Absolutely. Because it's more anonymous. Well, I wanted to thank you so much. So can you tell people, if they are interested in learning about you, where is your online presence? so they can find you.
1: Well, we have a big presence on Facebook. Roseanne is the is the Facebook queen. So you can find us on, on Facebook. You can also find us on our website at nymilkbank.org. You can email us at info at nymilkbank.org. We're also uh, fundraising right now to try to... We're expanding. We're getting a new pasteurizer that's coming from England very soon. And uh, we're fundraising so that we can move into a larger facility. So if anyone wants to donate milk, they can go to our website and go to the control
0: tribute page. Oh, well, wonderful. So Julie, thank you so much for your time. I'm glad we were finally able to get our schedules together because I know you're a busy lady. So I really appreciate this. And I'm sure our community does too. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Deb. All right. Have a great afternoon. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg.